0: You can't change the past. You can change the present, so that when it becomes the past, it will turn out to be a past worth having. Good evening, and welcome to this, uh, I, I'm i not going to try to remember the number today, uh, 38th? 38, 38th. 38. 38th episode of The Complete Discography, where we are talking about the fourth book in the Tiffany Aking series, the 38th book in the Discworld series, uh, and kind of a dark book, um, I Shall Wear Midnight, first published in the UK in 2010. This is technically ya but Ew. we'll get into that later <laughs> <laughs> um
1: <laughs> i mean we we talked about this with ursula uh, yeah like a, a while back of like terry gets away with a like terry is skated on some stuff that is like mo- like most ya marketed stuff would never do <laughs> um and that's what happens when you can just, when you sell that, when you sell that well, I guess. Yeah, I guess. So, uh,
0: we should, Publishers don't tell you no. We should do, uh, we should do titles though. Uh, Anna,
2: you want to lead us off? Sure. I'm Anna and I'm a champion cheese roller.
1: My name is Justin and the only funny letters I have at the end of my name is my last name.
3: Hi, I'm Bitter Crella and I uh, jump like a knave and leap like a whore.
0: And I am Aaron and I have happy ass corp ass. And that person that you just heard is uh, new to our podcast, but uh, fascinating on the internet. Uh, <laughs> Corella, do you actually want to introduce yourself, really?
3: Sure, sure. So my name's Bitter Carella. Um I'm probably most known for... Uh, uh creating and um maintaining the twitter microfiction account midnight underscore pals which asks what if all your favorite horror writers were to gather around the campfire and tell scary stories like uh, are you afraid of the dark um we are now uh on our third book of collected midnight pals microfiction which should be coming out in the next couple months fingers crossed and working on an uh, audio uh, dramatic dramatic uh quotations audio podcast uh version as well um so very exciting things on the horizon for us
0: and why is mary shelley so murdery <laughs> it's just how she was in real
3: life you know i'm just That's being fair. true <laughs> being being accurate <laughs> to the actual historical person <laughs> she uh she seems the sort <laughs>
0: That that account alone will be the thing that I will miss the most. I think if Twitter ever dies, which feels like any day now, but I guess you're on Mastodon uh, too, so.
3: That's right. You can find us also on Mastodon, on Tumblr, on Substack, and on my Patreon. They're all under Bitter Corella. So so you know, Google the
0: name. It it's more than worth a follow if you don't. (laughs) Thank you. So what was? Do you remember your first Discworld book? Um.
3: Yes. Uh. My very first Dick. Uh, Dick World. Sorry. this World book.
0: <laughs> That's a different series. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if, I'm sure it could be fixed in post. Um. It was actually uh Soul Music. Um. I read that when I was probably about uh 14, and uh, I I distinctly remember it was very different than other books. It was very. It was funny, which I I was not. Um. At the point at that point, time, I didn't think that that was a thing books were allowed to do. Um. So that was my first one. And then I went back and read most of the series um, until I've actually I've read every Discworld book up until uh, The Truth was the last one that I read. And then I have not read anything past that. So I am completely unfamiliar with the Tiffany Aching, Aching series um it was not not that like i fell out of love with this world it was mainly just you know i i grew up and i didn't have time anymore so you know real life kind of got in the way and uh so i kind of just fell away from it so this was kind of a a fun return to you know an old friend i guess you could say
0: jumping into tiffany of the fourth book is is fascinating i, I would I would love to, at some point, if you go back and read the first three, hear your thoughts uh, r- returning through that path. Um, but that's also kind of like a thing that I've seen with some of Discworld readers. It's the, what does the library have on the shelf method of reading through them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in theory, they're all self-contained, so you don't mm-hmm.
3: need to read yeah. them, though, as you go along, of course, there's a lot. You they They really, you know, if you're reading like The Color of Magic, it's like, or something it's like yeah this is just a pastiche of fantasy stuff and isn't until later Mm -hmm. when it's like oh yeah um yeah in in this book when it was like when you go to Anka Morpork and it's like there are all these characters and if you aren't familiar with them it's like why are we what Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is weird um but yeah it's kind of like oh yeah I, I recognize these guys
0: yeah yeah so I guess we should uh summarize the book quickly and then we can get into fully discussing it Um, I'm just going to put this is a
1: this is a bad pod length
0: (laughs) (laughs) summary yeah Um, I should I should have shortened it but I didn't and I'm just going to put this out here there is a pretty frank discussion of domestic abuse and pregnancy loss in this book so if that's a hard stop for you I am very sorry so Tiffany aching now nearly 16 is the chalk's only witch and is being worked ragged The book starts in a pastoral fantasy, where the locals gather at a summer fair, and we get some humorous misapprehensions about witches and their sexuality. From there, we whiplash to one of the darkest scenes I think I've ever read in a Discworld book, although uh, not a Terry book, because Nation probably matches that, where Tiffany tries to save Amber Petty, a teenage mother, and her baby, after the teenager was badly beaten by her drunken father. Amber survives, barely, but loses the baby. Tiffany takes Amber to the Knack and the ministrations of the Kelda, and returns to do right by the baby. She prevents the father from dying by suicide, only to be thanked by him, starting to spread rumors that the witch caused, caused all this misfortune. After a few minutes of sleep, Tiffany goes to tend to the ailing baron, using the pain removal technique taught to her by Granny Weatherwax. She's confronted again by the prejudice, in the form of the nurse, who accuses Tiffany of evil magics to cover her own thieving and these accusations are magnified by the fact that the Baron finally passes across the dark desert while in her care. Tiffany volunteers to go track down Roland, the Baron apparent, who is on a pre-wedding trip with his bride-to-be, Letitia, and her mother in Ankh-Morpork. She's accompanied, as always, by several of the Pixies, which tells you what will eventually happen in Ankh-Morpork. On the way, Tiffany is accosted by the main supernatural antagonist of this book, the Cunning Man, kind of an embodiment of xenophobia and moral panic. In the city, we finally visit Bafo's joke shop and discover that it is actually run by Mrs. Proust, a city witch, something we suspected existed in Equal Rights. Meanwhile, the Knack Fegals get into a bar fight, destroy a pub. Captain Carrot and Sergeant Angua take the two witches into protective custody as the cunning man's power spreads. Upon their release the next day, they find that the Fegals have rebuilt the pub, albeit backwards. And then Tiffany encounters Escarina Smith, again not seen since Equal Rights, who explains the Cunning Man's backstory. She also warns Tiffany that the Senior Witches will act as the last resort if Tiffany cannot overcome the t- Cunning Man on her own. Tiffany returns to the chalk to find the Baron's Men attempting to dig up the Fiegel which is about as suicidal an action as, say, walking sh- through the shades with a bag labeled lots of money. She struggles with her feelings towards Roland, ultimately coming to the conclusion that they were drawn together simply because they were both born apart from society, a witch and the baron's heir, and not because they actually should be together. Under the influence of the domineering Duchess, Roland has Tiffany imprisoned in the goat sheds, sorry, dungeon, much to the embarrassment of the castle guards who are deeply aware of all the work Tiffany puts into the community with little to no recompense. We also meet Preston, a young castle guard, who pays Tiffany a lot of attention from a respectful distance. Of course, Tiffany has too much to do to take a well-deserved night's sleep in the dungeon, so she goes to confront Letitia, who, it turns out, is also a naturally talented witch but untrained, and also probably responsible for first unleashing the cunning man from his book's confines. This summary is getting long, so I'm going to kind of elide a bit. Uh, A contingent from Lanker, including King Varence and Queen Magrat, as well as Granny and Nanny, arrive for the funeral and the wedding. A coven of city witches led by Mrs. Proust also arrive from the city to warn Tiffany that the cunning man is corporeal now and coming for her. Granny very carefully does not answer Tiffany's concern about them killing her if she fails to stop the cunning man herself, instead telling her to trust herself. The night before the wedding, Tiffany, Roland, Letitia, and Preston meet at one of the fields that needs burning to clear the stubble. Working together, they manage to first tire and then trap the corporeal cunning man in flames. In the aftermath, Tiffany makes Roland promise to several societal improvements, including a permanent school and protection for the fegals, and tuition for Preston to go get medical training, something he is clearly quite good at. She, and we, meet an older version of herself, who has been watching her throughout the story in the shape of a hair, with the help of Ask. We jump forward a year where things have mostly gone okay. Preston has taught at the new school and is heading out to a medical residency in ankh Park. Amber and her boyfriend are okay, which is her broadly respect again, and Preston offers Tiffany the necklace she saw her older self wearing. So, I skipped a lot, but as is tradition, there's 400 pages in this book, and you should probably read it.
2: It is the longest Tiffany book so far. I I feel like this is, like, the length of all three previous Tiffany books stapled together.
0: Could be. Uh, It is over 400 pages in my copy. So, yeah, decent-sized book so uh Justin broad impressions
1: um i' I very much enjoyed this one I'm not sure it's- I'm not sure it's my favorite Tiffany book, but I feel like it's maybe the one that I like dug into the most hmm i I think it's partly because it's like there's compared to some of the other ones there's a lot of meandering that goes on in the first couple of Tiffany books, which is fine they're fun but like this one is very direct
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I it, it's and Especially with the like, I think like all of the Tiffany books do a good job of like taking an anxiety that is common in growing up and making it making a sort of narrative outlet for that. Um, I made the joke to to y'all a couple days ago where it's like it's the it's the it's the branching path and there's one that's a happy castle and one that's like the dark <laughs> and stormy castle you see in a mm-hmm. Hammer film. The bright and stormy castle is. Terry Pratchett writing about war the dark and stormy castle is Terry Pratchett writing about being a teenager (laughs) Um,
2: you're not wrong though
1: it's uh I it's I, I really enjoyed it I I think that I like we can go into this a little bit later as well but I I think it's interesting how for the most part I think it's been a good darn while that we've seen a supernatural threat outside of the tiffany aching books that like is the main antagonist and mm-hmm. i think the cunning man might be the best of just like the actual like uh, the best like supernatural antagonist we've had i don't want to say maybe a, like across the series period but i think maybe yeah like at least it's the one that strikes out to the most to me absolutely it's the most,
0: it's the most insidious and like mm-hmm. you know, believable in a weird way, yeah
1: for it only and it's like it's really only there for like four or five scenes, which I mean is one of those things where you know
2: it's it's funny because it's only there for four or five scenes and yet it's there for the entire book mm-hmm. page you yes. know front to back essentially like mm-hmm. we only see it a few times but it's there the entire mm-hmm. time like the the poisoned thoughts are are all it or maybe not all it.
0: Which is, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating turn because of the the previous three books and their sort of discussion of Tiffany's, like, sec- second thoughts and third thoughts and stuff. And she, she can't even trust her own thoughts in this book. Yeah. I mean, I guess she couldn't with The Hive either. Um, sorry. <laughs> We're going into things that <laughs> haven't
3: read. Uh, yeah, sorry, because I, I, I'm not familiar with the other Tiffany Aching books. Um, so this is my first one, really. And my first uh, return to Discworld since I was like 22 or something. Um, so this was very a very weird experience coming back because I realized that like all the things that I used to really love about Terry Pratchett's writing, I now absolutely can't stand. <laughs> but all the things that I completely missed when I was that age are now like I, I read it now and I'm like, damn, this is actually really good. Um like um, all the humor in, in Pratch. I shouldn't say that I don't, that I can't stand it, but like uh, a lot of the jokes that like when I was younger, I read, I was like, oh, this is great. I love this. I love that he takes one joke and stretches it for like four pages on. And now when I read that. I was like, okay, let's, let's move it on. Like in the very beginning when it was like, we're going to talk when he mentions the, um, what is it? The, the, the Cardiff giant analog. Mm-hmm. Uh, hill Hill figure who has a big dick, and he's like, "Let me say he has a dick without saying he has a dick." We're gonna very coyly go around this this <laughs> thing, and it's like, "Okay, I get it." But it went on in a little while, um, so a lot of that I'm like, "Okay, this, this is not hitting for me as much." But luckily, I mean, that was you know, I think for when Pratchett was writing, he was like, "I'm I'm I'm the joke guy. I'm the humor writer. I gotta start out with this." But as the book went on. And it gets a little darker. He he doesn't he doesn't really fall into that as much. So once we get yeah. past the first couple chapters, I was like, all right, I'm getting more into this. I'm really feeling it. Um, and you know, of course, like you all said, this is a way darker than I'm familiar with Discworld, because you know,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I'm I'm I most remember yeah, Ritzwind is running away from things, isn't he? And <laughs> yeah, now it's like oh, there's like infanticide, and domestic violence, and like. Uh, you know a, a, attempted murders and stuff this is this is a a lot heavier than that i remember um, and also since i was expecting i was expecting since this is a young adult book that uh, you know uh, patch would kind of change his style a little bit you know make it a little more uh,
1: kid-friendly oh, he, he
2: does change his style <laughs> okay. he makes it darker <laughs> oh yeah yeah. No, he say. just gets
1: incredibly darker
2: i was gonna say this is like yeah it's
3: way darker and it's, mm-hmm. it's it's really cool i really like that he doesn't talk down to kids i think this is the first oh, yeah. young adult novel that i've seen in years that isn't like okay oh we got to make it nice for the kids this one is like no we're we're we're, we're like <laughs> we're, we're we're the kids can handle it so uh, yeah props to him props to him for that i really gotta respect yeah it.
0: I wonder how much of I wonder how much of that is the influence of uh, on uh, on him of his friendship with uh, Neil Gaiman because like he Gaiman has that quote about dark things. Uh, what is it? Um, I think it's really important to show dark things to kids, and in the showing, to also show that dark things can be beaten. You have mm-hmm. that power. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
3: you do see because I know they work together on Good Omens, and they always talk about how oh anything that's like scary was Neil Gaiman's work, and anything that's like funny in there is Terry Pratchett's and it's like yeah but now we're seeing you know uh Terry Pratchett can he can go scary too um yeah I think Neil Gaiman when I read Do- Good Omens it was like oh I-, I guess I feel like this is all Pratchett's work except the bit where the maggots eat the telemarketers and that was Gaiman but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably yeah. being a little mean to Neil Gaiman
2: and, and all the <laughs> Tiffany books are this is the darkest of them but they are all darker than Discworld Average
1: mm-hmm yeah,
2: from you know the 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 land of the fairy queen in the first, which is genuinely very terrifying, mm. um, up to up to this one. And you know, we Aaron mentioned the Hiver, which is the I don't want to call it a villain, but it's the antagonist antagonist in yeah. in yeah. the second book, which is essentially a ancient disembodied mind.
0: It's a whole, it's a Boltzmann brain, basically.
2: Yeah, that tries to take over Tiffany. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's uh what the is it Smith. and then yeah, winter Smith is the personification of winter, gets mm-hmm. a crush on Tiffany and creates just the worst winter anybody has ever seen in hundreds of years, um <laughs> causing you know genuine hardship across you know across the land
0: yeah that's that's the interesting thing too, because the you know the this the cunning man. Is the first one that technically, at one point, was human.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, the hybrid has parts of humans in it. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that at least partly it's because I, I think at least in someone there's a frankness within the Tiffany series that yeah. you know it, it's and for the most part we are in an area of Discworld where it's all. Like, I mean, it's either the wizards, it's the it's moist, it's the guards like that. That's sort of like the the folks we're dealing with now. But this is a lot more of the I mean, we had some of this in Unseen Academicals, but it's all day to day stuff. And I mean, the biggest problem Tiffany has at the start of this book is like, you know, dealing with people's toenails and sickness and helping and doing what is basically hospice care yeah. for yeah. the baron. Which I, I think is there, there's a, like sort of a grounded frankness in it that I think lets it get to the point where, okay, now when we've actually got to introduce a villain, it's something terrible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's also the expectation through the Tiffany books that the readers of them will read at the same age that Tiffany is. So the first one is pretty is pretty accessible in the like tenish age range and now we're getting to the book where this would be this would be you know appropriate to 16ish year olds but not 10 year olds certainly you know i think that there's been an expectation that the readers would grow up with tiffany
0: yeah adults at least in pratchett's mind have taught themselves not to see things and kids see the unvarnished truth whether we like them to or not and mm-hmm. because tiffany's a witch she will never stop seeing the unvarnished truth like roland for example
2: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
3: yeah um the thing that also i was going to say uh, kind of going back to the bit about how grounded this is in just day-to-day life is um i, I feel like because one of the weird things or not i shouldn't say weird one of the interesting things about terry pratchett is he has such a deep interest in the lives of ordinary people which Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's rare in a fantasy writer. Like, you know, most of them are like, obviously, oh, what are kings and queens doing? And, um, you know, you see this over the course of the series, like the earlier Discworld books are pretty much just parodies of uh, existing fantasy stuff. But as the world grows, he's very interested in like, okay, who is, you know, um, just the, the fact that the chalk is all about shepherding and sheep, and this is, Uh, intertwined with people's lives to this degree Um, it's um, that he really it's it just it gives you know humanity to the books that that really stands out Um, which I think you know most people I mean if you're just reading like oh it's a funny book you know it's really what makes them stick is that humanity because I could very easily read a funny book and be like these jokes aren't landing but what kept me going through this is like no these these are all these are real people (laughs) Mm
2: mm-hmm
0: so, what were some of the main themes that folks picked out?
3: I
1: mean, I think you can I, I think one of the main ones is poison goes where it's welcome, and in this case, poison being fear, suspicion, hate, mm-hmm. yeah um,
2: yeah, I and think that's the big th- one and the infectiousness of it as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know the the you know, the the fear of the other and stuff like that the way the way that it spreads, you know through rumor, et cetera, that as we see the town slowly turn on Tiffany. Um, I also also there's the the musing on like how people grow to hate helpers. Um, because you know they remind them of their dependence on others. You know that you know, okay. a- everybody's dependent on Tiffany for the role she plays in the community, and they kind of hate her for that, a little bit. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. I- yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually that's actually a good point. I hadn't uh thought about that till you mentioned it, but um that is a big thing in this and I mean we see that in real life as well. I mean, I mm-hmm. think what really this book it really um captures how these things do spread. It feels very real. Um you know, it, it's not like uh you know, it's it is just the effect the the fact like yeah, these are people who um tiffany lives with she works with them they're her neighbors and just them slowly starting to hate her over this book um mm-hmm. it it's it's very relevant especially living as we are right now in uh, yeah. times when we're seeing yeah. you know we're sharing more and more of that um um i actually because i didn't realize where at first i didn't realize where the book was going. i knew where the book was going because i read the back flap but it <laughs> wasn't really you know at first it was like okay where where is this going and it wasn't until it it very gradually kind of sneaks up on you what's happening. And um that I think it really makes it like hit harder because it is kind of the same way as Tiffany is you feel like, I mean, even in real life when these things happen, you're like a, a frog in a in in a in a frying pan type thing where it's like mm-hmm. it's it's building, it's building, it's building, and suddenly, suddenly you're like, oh, it's everywhere. And I didn't realize it. Yeah. And
2: we, we there's a couple of direct like References to boiling frogs too, with the cook mm. and with tiffany Tiffany taking the frogs out of the water bucket too.
3: Oh, um, right, right, that's right.
2: The one of the things that stood out to me as well, um, which I was going to say in a few minutes ago, but then forgot. Uh, this is one of the first, one of the, one of the highest stakes feeling dish, Discworld books to me in some ways that you're know, reading reading through. You know, there's a real sense that things are not going to turn out all right. Yeah. Um, that you yeah. know, it's very, very possible that Tiffany will fail or there will be some sort of irrevocable do- harm done to the community.
3: Um, I Yeah, the whole bit when Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og are basically saying like, yeah, we if you fail, we will kill you. And mm-hmm. it's like, has anything like that happened in
0: another Discworld book? I do want to talk about that, though, because... <laughs> there's kind of an unreliable narrator thing going on because Esk is the one who says that they'll kill her granny and nanny do not. In fact, Mm. they say the opposite that that they're like, ask us to help. We're here. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end, they do say when Tiffany asks them point blank, would you have killed me? They said, we would have tried not to, which is a little, you know, not, not quite
1: an answer. (laughs) Right. I think I I'm trying to think because it's one of those things, but it's like th- there's in Discworld books, especially like in the first half of them, there's like universal or temporal, like temporal in the sense of like the timeline crises. But I don't think there's any book that has so successfully like where you feel the stakes. And mm-hmm. like yeah. I, I I it's like it's it's. The stakes of it are are like centralized, but I'm the the chalk is such a realized and full place, and the 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 swerve of it as it's being infected with all this, it makes it it makes all of that it makes those stakes feel incredibly full, even if they're localized to just this one area. Which yeah, um, I mean you know a lot of writers could maybe uh learn
3: about it. instead of, you know, going, you know, don't need to go bigger, just need to go sharper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, cause like, you're right. Cause a lot of the uh, earlier books, there are, like you said, huge like world ending stakes. Like when you're reading sorcery or um, uh, there, there are a couple others, I think where the world is basically seems to be ending. Um, and it's, it's very big and over the top, but it's very much played for laughs. And this is the one where it's very small and local, but it's like, it's affecting, like it's affecting people that you know very directly and 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 you know in their lives and so therefore it becomes uh th- this is a serious thing it's like um you know it's that thing where they're like oh com- comedy is when you know you fall into a a manhole cover and die and tragedy is when i i prick my finger um and it's like yeah it's like it makes it th- this case the stakes are very real because you know the people affected we feel for them um yeah. and other yeah in earlier books it's like um yeah again it's kind of like joke apocalypses happening
2: and like and it's like in the world in the apocalypse type books it's like you know that everything's going to be okay because there are other books right yeah (laughs) like you know the disc is going to be fine ultimately (laughs) and in this one it's Um, like you know it's possible that you know the chalk falls or something like that feels very like a very real possibility
3: yeah and also this is i mean this is a a comedy book or it's a funny book it's got jokes but like the cunning man is played completely straight there's like Mm -hmm, nothing mm -hmm. funny about him um he's not a you know comedic villain at all he is like you know he's gonna kill you so yeah i i think i think the
1: way i was putting it like the the way it's like crystallizing my head is that like part of it is that the like the dungeon dimension was as i mean so glad we haven't heard that phrase in 20 in 20 (laughs) books um (laughs) Like it's so like it, it, there's nothing really to comprehend there, but what the cunning man does is, I mean, it is something incredibly real. It's anti-Semitism. It's racism. It's it's homophobia. It's transphobia. Mm-hmm. It's just it's one of those things where you don't need to say what it is or what it what it is relating to, but because you can see what's happening and how it's being depicted. And I for everybody is who's been even on that, you know, who's witnessed that it's hard not to see them the cunning man and realize that it's, it's a part of all of us. And the fact that like, you know, they say, you know, you will never def-, like, you can never kill the cunning man. The cunning man will always come back because there's always poison here. mean um, it, it, it's one of the most, it's, One of the most real villains, I think, in from a like of of the supernatural kind, it's it's one of the most real villains, I think. I I can remember seeing in a lot of books. Yeah, Yeah.
3: well, yeah, because the dungeon dimensions are pretty much just a spoof on Lovecraft, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the cunning man, he's not a spoof of anything. He is the thing, you know. You said he's racism, he's transphobia, he's homophobia. He is the thing. He's not like any sort of watered down. Uh, or, um, you know, kind of skewed version where you have to like, well, let me see if I can interpret what this is. No, he's the thing. So right. Um, right. I think this may be one of the most direct time, like, because, uh, you know, Pratt, all the books deal with with themes, but this is the one where I feel like it's the most like this, where, where he's not beating around the bush. Uh, he tells mm-hmm. you like, this is what the book's about.
0: Yeah. Rob was in the last, uh, in, our, in our last discussion talking about working with Terry and in the this period of his life uh, and how they they wrote Unseen Academicals while Tiffany was demanding that they write the story for her. So, mm-hmm. it, <laughs> you know, it, it really has that, like, I don't have much time left, you have to listen right now kind of energy to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: like like comparing it to the other Tiffany books, because I think it's like it's the easiest thing to pull it to in Discworld. It's like it's not the – I wouldn't say that it's like the the most – It's the best written, but it's the one that I think is going to stick with me the most. Yeah. Like, like just having read it and like and and going through that is like, you know, it's definitely the one where Terry felt it felt like Terry was really trying to do something there. And like the other ones are like, there's some very real stuff in the first couple ones about growing up and stuff. But this one is, I think, has a wider Mm -hmm. reach.
0: Yeah, it's it's not just growing up in this one it's it's that threshold into adulthood yeah mm-hmm.
2: and this is this is the first one in a hot minute to make me both like you know tear up on multiple occasions and feel like genuine anxiety mm-hmm. about the story you know even having read it before i didn't have a perfect recollection of how it ended but like i was i was very nervous about how it was going to end up
0: Reading this right next to *Unseen Academicals*, though, it did make me realize that he was really thinking hard about, like, you know, we in in *Unseen Academicals*, we talked about the upstairs and downstairs, but there's a there's a fair amount of meditation on class in this one too. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, and it's then sort of subverted, and he questions himself because that, you know, you first see the Duchess being awful to servants, but then you find out later that. They also have this basically just like we take care of our servants until the day they die, even if they can't work.
3: I mean, yeah, there is definitely a lot of interest because they mentioned at one point, one of the interesting things I thought was when they were talking about, you know, the 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 baron is, you know, you you treat him with respect. If he sees the baron, but at the same time, if at any point the people just decided, yeah, we don't like this guy. We don't like having a baron. What if we just got rid of him? So there's kind of a, there's a recognition uh, the reason that the Baron is a, you know, is is a, is one of the good aristocrats is because he kind of understands, like, he rules because he's allowed to rule, and, yeah. um, you know, that that's something that um, uh, it, I, I wouldn't have expected to see that in a YA book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of it kind of ties into like the the Watch books and their their musings on like policing by consent. Hmm.
3: mm Hmm.
2: Baroning by consent.
1: I, I think something interesting I mean, is you is like the sort of off-screen removal of the the, the ants. Yeah, um,
0: it's like I didn't like and, that plot line. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: I mean, he didn't. I I think I think the replacement of the Duchess and Letitia are much more interesting and mm-hmm. they wor- and they work better in like that. They are.
0: I mean, Letitia is. Uh, Somewhere between a salad and a sneeze. I loved that line. Yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. I think, I think the Dutch is interesting in that, like, she's, she's a, I think a relatively easily redeemed minor villain, Mm -hmm. um, who like once she gets some more humanity is able to be fleshed out. Letitia is like harping on like, okay, this is, this is a, this is a probably like a relatively deep cut, (laughs) but did any of y'all read Patricia C. Reed's Enchanted Forest Chronicles. That
2: would be me. Hello. Okay. Cool. Cool. Like, I have read. I, I, I still have my paper books of those paperbacks of those on places of honor on my bookshelf.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. They're they're freaking amazing books. Um. And from from everything I know, Patricia C. Reed is not a horrible person. So, um, if you have small children who like fantasy books and like humor, the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. I will never probably reread them because I, you know, it's I want to keep the fond memories. No,
2: they actually um, hold up.
1: Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, I reread the La- I
2: reread them a few years ago. They hold up. It's wild. La-
1: Letitia feels like a character who is like a side character for a couple chapters in one of those books. <laughs> of like the the girl who looks like she is a spoiled rich girl, but is in fact like very like is very interested in witchcraft has a natural talent for it but has no way of accessing that.
2: Yeah. She's she's really interesting too as a tool I think for Tiffany to like come to terms with some of her own nasty thoughts. Like that yeah. Tiffany is very like I'm not like other girls throughout <laughs> like every single one of her books. And up until this point where she's like, "Ah, shit, I've been a tool.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Like that, that kind of, as she realizes that like Letitia is a person with her own like desires and, um, you know, motivations and et cetera. And like kind of gets it into her head and is like, ah shit. Um. Yeah. That's that's a really interesting part for me because um yeah like like you say like the, that she seems like she's going to be the you know the like you know little and and Tiffany is very much like oh yeah she's a, like damp little useless princess
1: yeah she's narratively she like like Tiffany is constr- like she's she's building the narrative in her own head of right. how this is going to happen mm-hmm. yeah uh, my f- okay my favorite part of this book. Is when she is invoking like her oath, and she says, "And I will marry you."
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: because I like listen. I am a sucker for like weird, like magic, like magically like duped or like mm-hmm. subverted like oaths, oaths and prophecies. Yeah, and her marrying them yeah. is <laughs> it's it's maybe the like it's maybe the most pleased I've ever seen or the most pleased I've ever been with a Terry Pratchett twist of like playing on something. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh. One of, one of mine that I pulled out was that you can be both well-meaning and completely fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, like, Oh my God, Tiffany. And she keeps being like, I was an idiot. And then she keeps being an idiot. Um, and I love it. I love it. That Look, she's Being a
0: teenager is really hard.
2: Like, and she's, she's allowed to fuck is... up in this book.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And like that, the thing of like, that it takes her this entire book to get it into her head, basically, that she needs to help people in the way that they want to be helped, not in the way that she thinks that they should be helped.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: One theme that was a little that kind of ties in with that, as well as the Letitia thing, I thought, is, and this is a theme throughout all the Discworld books, is just the idea that, um, you know, people, people should be, al- should be allowed to live their own authentic lives and that's mm-hmm. something that you see i mean you've seen it in like plenty of Discworld books that's a pretty general theme but in this one it was interesting because not only the idea of letitia um you know who's kind of destined to be the princess but wants to be a witch but when they talk about T- tiffany not naturally being a witch she's not naturally good at witchcraft she's a witch because mm-hmm. she wants to be a witch like that's mm-hmm. what she chooses to yeah. be which i really like because actually like um uh so so j- this is a little far-flung or, or or unrelated i guess but like i i um so i i do a little bit of magic i do i dabble in magic a little bit you know like like sympathetic magic type stuff um which is mostly like which by the way terry pratchett is the, also the uh the author that most captures what real magic is like in the sense that it's not real and doesn't work um and it's all just headology um but like when i'm reading about like um you know, when I read about witchcraft and magic and people who, who do it, they basically say like, okay, what makes you a witch? What makes you, you know, a, a someone who uses magic? What makes you a witch is basically, you know, um, magic doesn't work. It's not real, but like if you, but so the whole point is you trick your brain into thinking it works, you know, by seeing connections and stuff. But the idea is like, okay, if you want to be a witch, You 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 know you wake up at sunrise you go to like a certain like pool and like you know you you catch the moon in the water and there's all these rituals and the whole point is it's the point the ritual isn't the point the point is that you went through and did it because Mm -hmm. you were that dedicated and you wanted to do it Mm -hmm. and just by the act of doing it you are now the thing that you want to be and that's that's really what Tiffany is it's like the the point isn't that she can do magic it's that she she has the desire and the will, and she does the work. So, mm-hmm.
1: I something that like building off the idea of doing the work and like and letting people become their best selves is that the book doesn't like the book like Tiffany at the end doesn't just say, you know, we should help people come better. Tiffany aching knows that what you need, what you need to do that in a, in society is you need cold, hard cash. You need, (laughs) like you need to, you need to fund education, Um, Mm -hmm. which is like, and, and like the fact of it is, is that like, Hey, you've got this useless castle that's doing nothing. And you've got this gold for like, you know, she like real gold. And it's like, Hey, we can use that to pay for a school. And, you know, it, it's, it's the, th- it's the thing of like, it's the thing of like, oh, we should make the world a better place, but how, ha- and, and it's, or it's like, like, if you want the feel good end of a fantasy novel of like, oh, and, the, you know, the king breaks great justice, land, there's none of that. It's no, we paid hard cash for, and we, we set up a school so that people can better themselves. It's and like, the... you know, honestly, it's like, it's kind of, kick ass for terry to do as like as like the final thing of like no you like yes you should like we should pay for people you know with no expectation of people giving back to those They're like giving back but people should be schooled and we should pay for that
0: turns out the arts does in fact you know have a benefit in society <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, But, you know, as you were talking about, though, I was remembering that it's kind of a mirror of the second guards book where Carrot comes in with all those extra demands for veterinary, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, we should, and we should build three more watch houses and increase our manpower, et cetera, et cetera. But this is just like, I mean, no, we're not going to defend against a cunning man by... By uh, building up the police force, by building up the castle guard, we're going to deplete the castle guard. We're going to have a doctor. We're going to have a school. We're going to teach people to think for themselves and think carefully about what they see and what they hear. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: it's like that's maybe like the best feel good ending of like you know like how can we prevent something like this from happening here again? It is you know it's not like there's no magic. There there is no you know magic circle or anything you know like you know we're gonna we're gonna like make a band of iron or something around the entire land it's mm-hmm. no we're gonna we're gonna work to to we're gonna work so that we can try to prevent this generationally down the road mm-hmm. yeah
2: and the thing is like hey we need a doctor so what do we do <laughs> we make a scholarship and we send somebody to go be a doctor and mm-hmm. they will come back yeah. and be a doctor for us fantastic we solved it
0: yeah because i guess you know Post Doctor Lon getting some actual like or getting actually like respected in ankh Park, doctoring is not you know where you go to die anymore.
1: Yeah, and like the last chapter of this book is like like for for for, I think part of that is because it earns it because it's so goddamn dark. Yeah, (laughs) it's like yeah,
2: Uh, and it's it's funny because you know with the last with the last chapter of this book being what it was, I was. Su- really surprised that the Shepherd's Crown existed. Like when Shepherd's Crown came out, I was shocked because I was like, "Okay, this is the end of the Tiffany books. We have wrapped it up. Like you know, we have even met future Tiffany, and like everything's wrapped up with a bow now." But I, I guess we'll and and I think after reading this one, I'm finally ready to read Shepherd's Crown. Which like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, a couple of books. Yeah.
0: Couple months away. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked, theme wise, in this was the the different styles of leadership that we see uh, from the witches, from you know who are sort of like a ever flowing scrum of some sort, uh, <laughs> to you know the Baron, the old Baron who has the respect of of the guards and the people because of. How he learned and listened and became, uh, and then the you know, the young baron who hasn't quite learned all those lessons yet, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and the duchess who has her own style of leadership, which, like a CEO, I guess,
1: (laughs) the girl boss of the year of the
0: (laughs) former former uh, Ankh Morpork dancer, um, which. You know that that sort of tied into the the class stuff too. What other things? So the uh, should we skip ahead to buttons?
2: Sure, I sure. I, with the <laughs> Justin was you, when you said the the uh, the the Duchess girl boss. Yeah, the I I was like oh oh no, she does do girl boss gatekeep gaslight all in one. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean so one of the one of the things that really stuck out to me was... she's
1: the evil stepmother, fuck
0: yeah fuck she, is. she
1: is yeah,
0: <laughs> yep, and you know there were all of the uh, there, there was the whole thing with the uh the the spinning wheels too,
2: yeah uh, yeah, yeah,
3: that is mentioned
1: uh, it's a fridge joke in the same way that lipwig is, yeah, uh, anyways yeah buttons. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I. <laughs> um, the one that stuck out to me from from even my first reading of this was um, I have seen horrible things, and some of them all the more horrible because they were well normal.
2: Yeah.
0: <sighs> Which probably many doctors and other caretakers have uh, have said. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm, yeah, um, I think the moment where this is a small one and very obvious, but like where. Um, Like I said, like I read the back flap, so I knew kind of where we were going. But when I finally realized that if I had just read the text of the book, when I realized we're going is when she meets Mr. Carpetbagger, a carpet layer, sorry, um, Mm -hmm. and um, and uh, helps him with his jumping bones. And he says and she says something to the effect of like, well, I hope you're going to tell people that witches aren't like evil. And he just says, "I'll, I'll let everyone know I met one of the good ones and it was like well obviously we've all heard that before we know what that means but at the same time when I read I was like oh yeah that is that's it kind of hit me for the first time like yeah that is exactly what people say you can like to their face show them their their prejudices are wrong and they'll just be like no I'm sticking with it Um, yeah and just the fact that yeah Tiffany again she's she's helping she's the caretaker she's doing the good and this is how people react yeah yeah
2: Um, I've got, one of mine was, uh, uh, she heard him mutter, can you take away this grief? I'm sorry, she replied. Everyone asks me, and I would not do so, even if I knew how. It belongs to you. Only time and tears take away grief. That is what they are for. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a very good line, and it's like, you know, it's, especially as we're approaching the end of Discworld, it it is a, it is a thing that like like especially with rob last month of like feeling like i guess the like the feeling is like w- w- when we're done with this of like mourning somebody who is already dead but in but like through celebrating them it's very i don't know i'm feel i have a lot of feelings about uh death and parasocial relationships especially with like uh the the day we recorded this at st patrick's day and uh lance reddick died today and it's like oh this is somebody who i've greatly enjoyed the work of and it's like Cool. It's no longer here on this earth.
2: Yeah. The the other button I pulled was, um, there have been times lately when I dearly wished that I could change the past. Well, I can't, but I can change the present so that when it becomes the past, it will turn out to be a past worth having. Which, that was a good line.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, as a lawyer, I loved, by the way, sorry, the return of the lawyer frog. Um, Oh my gosh, I loved him. (laughs) Uh, Well, as a lawyer, I can tell you that something that looks very simple indeed can be incredibly complicated, especially if I'm being paid by the hour. The sun is simple. (laughs) A sword is simple. A storm is simple. Behind everything simple is a huge tale of complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Especially if I'm being paid by the hour. (laughs) (laughs) In Beatles, Uh, though. In Beatles. In Beatles. In Beatles.
2: The toad Uh, lawyer. I
1: do like the... I do like the idea that that frog is just you know the eternal like the eternal lawyer of the chalk.
2: I, so. I love him so much. I'm so glad he's returned. I was like, I was like, oh no, is he dead? Because like, does he have a toad lifespan? But no, <laughs> here he is, and it it was it made me so happy.
0: I'm going to use that as a pivot point to keep going into our favorite details and parts from the book, because oh, I yeah. feel like we've covered a lot of things that could be buttons even before you know.
1: I mean, one that 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 got for me was I it, it, it and this is sort of a bottom one, but yeah. it's like people aren't just people; they're people surrounded by circumstance. Absolutely, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Which is which is one of those things of just like you know, it, it's one of those things of a ter—it's a terryism of everything is always more complicated, and I'm that doesn't necessarily mean that like somebody being an asshole has is okay or a person doing it, doing a hateful thing is like, should be forgiven, but it does always pay to examine the reasons and the circumstances surrounding a thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. I think, um, that really ties into like one of the things that is makes Terry Pratchett's writing. So, um, compelling is he's not like, um, because you know I used to think you know, when I when I read a lot of scores like he's got this you know this great faith in humanity and uh and it's like no he he doesn't but he has a real sympathy like he understands mm-hmm. like he's like people they aren't good but to some degree they want to be good and it's just mm-hmm. this idea yeah. of like you know that that um yeah but we are fallible and stupid and you know greedy and all these other things but he he really seems to have this feeling of like there is people just that if, if they if there's if they can be in the right circumstances they have such potential
2: yeah i feel like it's it's not so much a faith in humanity as a faith in the potential of humanity yeah, yeah. i always feel start like whenever, from that point.
3: yeah whenever like um it really feels like that that uh death is really has the same Ah, uh, the death character in the Discworld books—it really has the same feeling about humanity that Terry Pratchett did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So my favorite line in this book was very, very quick, but I just liked when after the cunning man dies or he gets, sorry, gets killed, he doesn't die. He just after yeah. she's defeated, he's defeated, and Tiffany just says, uh, "No mercy, she, and no redemption. You force man to kills harmless songbirds. Somehow, I think that's the greatest crime of them all." And. Mm-hmm um yeah again yeah i mean i really like that and uh it's again like terry pratchett like he does have a lot of sympathy for people who are like even villainous people but he does he also understands like like justin said that like it's not like oh someone does a bad thing you forgive them it's like no there's certain things that obviously it either that, that can't be forgiven or things that like if people change then yes but like he isn't like I don't know. Um, I feel like now there's a lot, especially online, a lot of the discourse is about like the idea of like, oh, you know, you always have to be nice. Uh, you know, it's like if you're bad to a bad guy, then you're just as bad. It's like it doesn't work that way. So, yeah, um, you know, it's 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 nice that uh, practice writing. He seems he understands the nuance of these things and how, um, you know, how redemption works.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I I wanted to ping on that too um and that I feel like um I feel like the way that the the way that the story ends is in and of itself a bit of a twist from like what you might expect with the with the kind of like clues that you get throughout the story um and how many other like ya books would run um which is that like, as you're running through, you know you got the thing with the fire, and you got the thing where she's referencing like you know marrying people in the fire, and there's the thing where the cunning man, like you know, is there because you know his the, his lover pulled him into the fire with her, uh, and like all of that, and especially with the way that Tiffany, you know, dealt with the wintersmith of embracing him, you know, mm-hmm. it feels like you know, okay, well the the conclusion of this is going to be that. Tiffany like takes him into the fire marries him and then burns him with with the way that she can you know channel fire and you know that she would stand Mm -hmm. in the flames you know marry him and then burn him alive or something and that does not happen there is no redemption for him
0: yeah Mm -hmm. Um, yeah
2: Yeah. (laughs) that you know he just dies or you know is defeated Um, it's like mm -hmm. fuck you he's a piece of shit yeah right yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, there, she, she has no, you know, she isn't forced to like, she isn't forced by the narrative to express affection for him in any way, mm-hmm. which I thought was very, very good. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah it's
0: one of granny's principles is, you know, y- you don't treat people like things. But on the other hand, the cunning man has not been a person for thousands of years. The cunning man has been an idea, a concept, uh, you know, a, a-, a seeping poison. And thus do, does not deserve, and show has no ability to become a a, a person again.
2: Yeah, which Aaron, feel free <laughs> to strike this from the re- strike this from the episode. Where I just wanted to mention I I've, I've been listening to the Hogfather audiobook, and the very first line where they introduce Tea Time is that he tended to think about people like things. Mm-hmm. Very first line.
3: Mm-hmm. I, think I mean that is pretty much yeah all all Discworld I and mean, most Discworld villains are are of that nature I think mm-hmm. they're yeah. they're pretty much um you know they're, they're you rarely I mean in Discworld you rarely get like a specific like character as a villain like not a person they're kind of like um uh just like a lot of them are just like like systems of control like the Auditors of Reality or the Guilds. I think it's rare that you get a villain that's that's a character that you can like latch onto, and even when mm-hmm. that happens, very often it's like they're a character that. Because like the only villains that I can think of that like are are like, well, you know, like 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 a lot of villains are they're like like the the new death isn't really a character. Like he's like mm-hmm. you said he's he's an idea in the same way the cunning man is. The only like villain that I can think of that's like a character is like Mister Pin and Mister Tulip, and, and and
2: tea time. It's right. time.
3: Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And they're yeah. all like, they become like characters because they're, they're, you know, in their own right. And even then I think they're, they're, they're all treated. Like, I don't want to say they're, they're not redeemed, but they have endings that feel like, um, I don't know how you would describe their endings. They're not quite just desserts, but they're definitely not redemptions. They're just, um, I don't know. Uh uh but, but my, my point is just that like yeah, you rarely get like this world that they're just like things that they're systems that seek to basically control people is mm-hmm. what they yeah. always end up being and treat people like things. So um again another theme throughout the series i guess wow i'm so smart that i thought of that <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm sure that this I, is never i'm sure that this incredibly obvious theme has never been brushed on in the entire history of this podcast it's not like <laughs> i already thought of this i mean that's the that's the joy that's
1: the joy of uh, of 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 having a new person on every month is that we can also all repeat our stuff without
0: <laughs>
2: right <laughs> um,
1: only the, the listeners side. suffer but I was thinking of like the difference between like all the previous Tiffany antagonists um they all have some level of humanity in them, like even the wintersmith
2: and even the fairy uh, queen,
1: yeah uh who like the wintersmith is acting on things that like he doesn't entirely understand these are impulses and stuff. the Cunning man is just awful like I mean it's there he my man is just an incel made into a demon.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: That's yeah. really what it
2: is. That that wow. You you got you, you got the nail on the head there. Yeah.
3: <laughs> He's an omni going his own way. Uh,
1: yeah. A pre-reformation
0: omnian, in, in fact. Gosh. <laughs> I I I hit the nail
1: on the head with an with a God. What's the the a Thor's hammer? The thing from Shadow <laughs> Red where you drop a where you you do like a rod from God. bombardment.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh. Uh, let's see. The I know that that you had mixed feelings about the Feegles, but I I deeply love them. Um. You know, it was impossible to embarrass a fegal. They just couldn't grasp the idea. Uh, and then my, one of my favorite little exchanges because they they meet we met Arthur in the city who yes. is a watchman. Oh woman.
1: God, that call that callback <laughs> and like that entire resolution was like I was like wait yeah I know I had questions about this when the Fievels were first introduced <laughs> and it's like oh no this is this was resolved in maybe the most beautiful way. <laughs>
0: A prodigal prodigal son coming home. Uh, but we did invent the deep-fried stoat. I can't do the accent. That must count for something. How's that a good point, said Arthur. <laughs> well, it saves some other poor devil having to do it. It's what you might call a taste explosion. You take a mouthful, taste it, and then there's an explosion. <laughs> um, You know, but speaking of the fegals, it's it's interesting to me how, you know, in previous books, they're definitely leveraged as the as the the humorous counterbalance to the rather dark stuff that Tiffany has to go through. Yeah. Uh but yeah. you know the the thing with the mound and suddenly they're not quite very funny anymore.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah that that you know in the first in the first book, you know, they're they're introduced and like, you know, everybody's like, oh wait, wait, you're like friends with the Fegals, they're like fucking terrifying. <laughs> Um, they are terrifying chaos goblins who are capable of a lot of murder. Um, and, and they,
1: and they mention in the book that, but it's like, I mean, as we go along there, they become a lot more friendly and stuff, but we realize that maybe the, like the fegals haven't actually ever killed anybody except when they were digging up when somebody dug up a mound.
2: Yeah. And, and this is, we've kind of like, we've kind of finally come full circle on that and realized like, okay, no, the fegals actually are a threat potentially like they uh-huh. are a force to be reckoned with. They aren't just funny. I mean, they are also funny. Okay.
0: Um. Yeah. The, you know, putting the, putting the, um, the pub back to front and, uh, <laughs> the king's neck, <laughs> the, the king's <laughs> dot, dot, dot neck. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, uh I think I'm probably in the minority with, uh, the feagles, the feagles. I'm going to say something, I'm going to say something spicy. I guess um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of the feagles. Um They're they're one of the they're not terrible, but I mean I and I they I understand they're like you know I, when I read books with the fegals in it they're they're their importance to the plot is like okay I, I I get it, but um, it's just a personal uh, pet peeve about Scottish accents <laughs> because it's just this thing where it's like okay I get it they're they're Scottish because. And I think it's just a thing because, like, out here and where where I am, people are like, oh, if if it's Scottish, it means it's cool. Oh, you put it in a Scottish <laughs> accent, it means you're a cool <laughs> badass. So I'm like, okay, every Renfair here, every every dullard I know is like, I'm putting on a kilt and doing a fake Scottish accent. Look how badass I am. It's like okay, so so because for that reason, when I see the fegals, I'm like, here we go. But that's that's very that's very idiosyncratic to me so that that's that's you know that's my and that's, that's my that's baggage. fair
0: i mean at least <laughs> just the pick uh, at least just the pixies having the scottish accent as opposed to the dwarves
3: i i will say that yeah that there's there's the the fact that they're picked i was like okay i i i get the joke and the connection makes <laughs> sense you know um mm-hmm. so so i'll forgive it for that reason <laughs> um yeah. i think was it because I, I remember that and what was it uh is that Lord's? No, it's Corporate it's, Jugulum, I think, right? Where that first happens, I can't remember. It's been a yes, while. Yes, it's I, Corporate Jugulum. I yeah. I do like the Kelda. Yeah. I was like, oh, the Kelda. There should be more descriptions of her because she sounds hot. I was like, she sounds very <laughs> up my alley. But Pratchett, I guess, was you know, he's he doesn't he doesn't do a lot of that. So the book. Could, I'm just I'm just like you know, the book could have been hornier. I'm just saying, but <laughs> Although yeah. there
0: is a lot of sex ed in it.
3: Yeah. yeah. It is. You know, I think this has more sex than any other Discworld book that I've read. Which, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone actually does anything on screen, but they talk about it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is, it is kind of, you know, they, they, br- you know, we start off with like a four page joke about the, the giants dick. And then there's the question about whether witches have passionate parts. And then of course, You know, it 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 carries. It's a theme that carries on. So there is definitely, you know, a lot about that.
0: (laughs) Up to up to including Nanny having to give the talk to. Yeah, after
2: after Tiffany is like gives what I'm sure is extremely clinical version. (laughs) Yeah.
3: You know, this is um again, this is the sort of thing that I feel like it works really. uh, Pratchett's way of talking about sex works really. uh, You know, it's one of those things where when I. I almost thought at first, like, this is a bit goofy. Come on. You know, I'm an adult. I don't need this kind of coy keep away thing. But then I realized, like, no, this actually works really well. Because, of course, yeah. um, it's first of all, it's a YA book. So you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to get like, you know, th- you're limited in how graphic you can get. But it's a nice way to do it to be like you're you're describing in a way that like the kids reading, the 16 year olds can be like, oh, ho, I get it. And adults as well can be like, Haha, I get it so it's i remember um, being a teenager it it works really well yeah 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 Yeah. it's like my initial reaction was kind of uncharitable but like as the book as it went on a bit i was like actually no this is a very clever way to like uh bring sex into the disc world books because you know i think a lot of people are just like you know these these you know these books shouldn't talk about that because it makes me uncomfortable and it's like He's not talking about it at all. He's talking all the way around it. He yeah. never says it directly.
0: <laughs> um, he he may circle it twice in, yes. <laughs> you know, highlighter, but
3: I mean, you know, when I was a kid and it's like I was reading like uh you know, because you're reading this, like uh Discworld books where sex is very coyly mentioned, if at all. And I was reading Piers Anthony books where it's like, oh well, as an adult <laughs> you realize, oh Mm. One of these, one of these authors is writing a book, and one of them is jerking off.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, And and I love with the sex ed subplot. I also love that we have both Tiffany and and that we have Nanny Og there too, because mm-hmm. Tiffany throughout all of it, like she's like, yeah, you know, she she does not have any experience of her own, and she is like, very clinical about everything. Like she knows how you know she knows how babies are made, and like. You know, she knows like the theory behind it, and then like and mm-hmm. explains that to Letitia, who seems to be like, Ugh, okay. Um, and then and then we have Nanny Og, who's like, no, this shit's fun. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you know, we, you can have fun with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which you know, that's that's Nanny Og in a nutshell, and I love her. Um, my what well, maybe my favorite like small line that makes me cackle every time snakes on a broomstick <laughs> I didn't even I didn't am...
3: get that until oh later oh, I oh, was oh, like oh, oh. I was reading and I was like I was just kind of like what the what the fuck what? it okay, snakes on a whatever. plane yeah and then like I when he said it I was like of uh, course man. oh definitely yeah I was a little slow on the uptake with that one
0: the the little argument that they have too about like the, the emergency exits on the off of the broom. Yeah. <laughs> like aren't In your, every
2: direction? Yeah. Terry is just uh, such a freaking nerd. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> because and, and that was a very like this was what, twenty Public- uh, yeah, ten? publication publication. That was like a very like two thousand nine meme.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the, <laughs> was the film everywhere. was 2006, so. Yeah. yeah.
2: God, well, was it? Yeah. Feel wow. God feel Goddamn. But, like, it was still going because, okay, back in the good old days, memes yeah, lasted know. longer than two days. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, I was ha- seeing. How, sp- how long did the Budweiser
3: frog thing last?
1: Right. I was uh, seeing oh, things on a plane times. memes.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> Budweiser frogs. They were years, years of those frogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, yeah. That was when we didn't we didn't yeah the internet moved a lot slower in those days. Back back,
1: back when you couldn't like just rapidly post images real quickly. Yeah. Know, we got our we got our yearly dose of memes from the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that had to tide us over until through the winter.
3: <laughs> well, I just remember in the old days, and it was like, you want to see a, a when I when I was a kid a hundred years <laughs> ago, and it was like, hey, you want to see this funny video about like a badger and a mushroom that well, that is going to make oh! you laugh. That's going to be five years of laughs from that yeah. right there. You yeah. know? I.
2: I s- I still, I still laugh at laugh at Badger Badger <laughs> Mushroom. It still lives in yeah. my heart.
1: I mean, I mean that you know, it's there. There's things that you know, it's from that time, and you know, but I'm retired. Then go take a nap. Then fire missiles. <laughs> the missiles.
2: Or
0: I do not
1: apologize to the nation
0: of the, France. The Alan McBeal dancing baby that lasted for like a solid decade, I think. Yeah,
2: there's like there's oh, like the the five years of really horny instant coffee commercials too.
1: <laughs> I mean shout out shout out to the Folgers incest commercial you will always
0: be famous <laughs> okay we need to keep going on the book uh, <laughs> um, let's uh, stop laughing a little bit and talk about what feels particularly relevant today oh I, oh, I mean fuck. I could have guess I couldn't guess yeah.
1: well
3: mm. <laughs>
1: you
0: know
2: <laughs> If you if like, you hadn't told me that like if I didn't know that this book was published in 2010 like I and if you told me that it had been published in 2022 I would believe you.
3: Yeah. I I wish this book was not relevant. <laughs> yeah. I wish yeah. we could just read it and be like, "Oh, what a quaint relic from the past, the the, the bygone past of 2010." <laughs> oh, it's so it's so funny that like uh, Terry Pratchett thought that this would be a continuing problem we'd have to deal with in the future. Oh, mm. oh, yeah, it, unfortunately, yeah, it's it's it remains um, and yeah, and probably will become more relevant, only yeah, more relevant. Um, don't like that, but um that's not that's not Terry's fault, yeah. Yeah. It's not his fault that he saw with clear eyes.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But he also gave us the answer a little bit when when he said or when Tiffany says in her head, I dearly wished I could change the past. I can't, but I can change the present so that when it becomes the past, it will be to turn out to be a past worth having.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Think about
2: it. And the the the, the thread with uh, like the hostility toward people the hostility toward the helpers also is super relevant with like people's attitudes toward teachers currently, mm-hmm. in particular.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, or, we're seeing yeah, especially yeah. teachers. Uh, we're also doctors seeing, during you know, the pandemic. Doctors, yeah. nurses, um, uh, librarians.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah.
3: Been, uh, yeah. It's yeah, it, you know, it, it is. Uh, I mean, I feel like yeah, yeah. In the last few years, especially, there's this, this idea that I feel like there has been like a growing hostility to anyone who's like, anyone who's like uh, uh, working for the common good in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, just this idea like that person's, those guys are suckers. What are they yeah. doing? Why, 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 you know, those people are suckers and probably, you know, frauds and yeah. also probably actually secretly bad because now yeah. I'm mad at them. That so they, I'm just going to yeah, say- this- yeah. Some
2: sort of secret well, ulterior motive, right? Yeah.
3: It's, it's this thing where I think people are just like, well, I'm an asshole. So clearly all these other people have to be faking that they're good. There's yep. no other explanation. They're just doing it for the kudos. Because uh, I do see that a lot where it's just like, if anyone does anything good now, it's all like, well, obviously that's virtue signaling. The only real yeah. the, the only real moral thing is to be a huge piece of shit and, just, and ruin everything. That's the way it has to be um, no school lunches either for anyone fuck those yeah. kids Uh, what a what a terrible world I was being I was saying that in the voice of the bad person <laughs> that I was that I was imitating I wasn't actually saying we shouldn't have school lunches <laughs> just, just in case that didn't come across properly <laughs> so the people listening are like right oh, Corell is a real piece of shit Wow. <laughs> uh.
1: Shout out to Minnesota, by the way. for Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Good yeah. on you. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and whatever the uh, opposite of a shout out is to Florida.
3: Always <laughs> the opposite of a shout out to Florida. Uh, Florida, the bad state. Uh, well, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry
0: to anybody who currently cannot leave Florida.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: good on the people who are there trying to change it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like this entire book. Feels. I mean, it, part of it is that it's only like twelve years old, right? You're right. Um, but it does feel like, like, especially like the core theme of it, like the core themes of it, and I mean, just overall, it, it just, yeah, it feels. This one feels a lot more pressing than even like some of the more relevant like uh, like guards books.
2: And mm-hmm. this one feels more relevant to me now than it did in 2010.
0: Yeah.
2: As well. Like you, know, it's it f- it feels like Terry predicted where we are now.
3: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, cuz it not it is not just you know, it's not just that it's about things that are happening now. They're described we're they seem they're I guess what I should say is because very often, like when you're reading books about this topic, authors are like, "Oh, well, uh, obviously it's this is the way it goes," and they describe kind of a cartoon version of this, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. you know.
3: Um, and this is like, no, th- this feel this feels very ac- the, just the the poison goes where poison's welcome, you know. Thing yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's that's how it goes. That's how it works. You know, you it, it's it is a it's a it's like a mind virus that spreads but it needs a willing host and i think that's you know that's the thing like very often you're reading a lot of people like oh it's just a mass hysteria normal you know people just we don't know we don't know why people do it it's like yeah Yeah. it is a mass hysteria but it's going because people want to want to believe this they want to have scapegoats they want to be they want to be they want an excuse to do violence and Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know
2: you know that um, the, the you know the ta- the the town of the chalk you know they they got out the rough music for that you know little old lady well before the cunning man showed his goddamn yeah. eyeless face yeah you know, yep, yeah The the sentiment was there
1: yeah this isn't that,
0: new the rough music like that i think above anything else was what stuck with me from my first reading of this book
1: yeah i feel like we've sort of danced around it because it's a very like i mean it it's i mean by far the darkest discord scene yeah 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 yeah
3: that is yeah and that is an interesting one because i feel like again that is uh the way that it's it's a very dark scene and it's it's talking about like oh there is like um uh, in these small towns where people kind of, or these, or this idea that like that Pratchett has a lot is like people want to be left alone to live their lives and they also want to be allowed to leave other people alone to live their lives. And very often that's kind of like, you know, that's, that's kind of a theme throughout Pratchett's work. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing here where it's like, that's not necessarily good because in the chalk where like there is this like abuse where like Mr. Petty is, I think uh you know, beating his wife and daughter, and everyone's like, Well, it's not my business, you know. Yeah. Everyone, you know, and it's like, yeah, we're seeing that like that that ideal is like not necessarily an ideal. It's it's it 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 can be bad. And mm-hmm. um, you know, just like there is something to be said for like look, a community justice, and we take care of our own here and this, and we get involved, but there's a lot of also like, okay, what is what is going on here? People are getting involved when it goes too far, but is this you know, it's almost like now it, it's also kind of presented as like oh it's a party now we're we're gonna go and like do some some rough music but it's doing we're we're, we're finally taking care of a problem but also it's fun to kill someone so yeah you know there yeah. there's a lot of like that whole scene there's a lot of like ambiguity about what is actually like the moral thing to do which i mean
0: you know yeah is the well, way it is and and to put some some very interesting context on this. I read this on the bus back from DC last weekend when I, I went down there with the with uh my girls my older girls Girl Scout troop uh and we'd just visited the African American Museum and you know there's quite a few rooms down there uh about lynching and mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So that felt Yeah. I'm yeah. you know the rough music isn't good. The rough music is is mob violence. Yeah. Even if it's solving a problem, it's, it's its own problem. Um, mm. you know, s- setting that, cause like you, you think to yourself, well, Vimes or carrot could stop this, right? With the well-placed word or some sort of tactical judo that, that, um, that Vimes pulls. Um, but does that kind of thing work in a small, in a smaller community? Or do you have to stop it before it gets to that point? I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, we need to keep going because <sighs> we could talk about that for like ten hours. Um, <laughs> and also because I kind of want to hear why you don't like Preston. But
1: I mean, I think I, I I can like I can sort of guess I can sort of guess because I think it's maybe the reason why I'm not like I didn't particularly vibe with them. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so again, going to get spicy here. Um okay. So so Preston. Here's my oh, here's my deal with Preston. First of all, he shows up halfway through the book, right? I'm like <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? Okay, now there's a new guard? I thought Brian was our main guard. I like Brian. He seems like he's kind of a, a – I like Brian as the kind of um uh He's sort of—I don't know how you would call him. Uh, he's a guard, but at the same time, kind of—he's—I don't know. He—he kind of reminds me of one of the Og kids, who's mm-hmm. like Brian's kind of there. a himbo. Yes, thank you. That's it. He's kind of a himbo, and and I was like, okay, I'm vibing with him. Then Preston comes along. It's like, oh, we got a second himbo. That's too many himbos. First of all, I will, and, I will,
1: I will say that Pr- Preston very quickly. Uh, he very quickly he self he self selects himself out of himbo status cuz he's too damn smart he's well yeah. Pre- like, pretending to be a himbo yeah, yeah no and, the- and 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 listen there is
3: no greater crime than himbo pretension he, i can't that's the thing, that's the problem preston is stealing himbo valor in this book and
2: he's there <laughs> thank
3: and like you. thank you <laughs> it's just he shows up and then suddenly it's like, like, you know, the beginning of the book when I said, Oh, a joke is going to uh, Terry stretching out this joke way too far. And I'm really getting tired of it. Every line by Preston is like that. He comes in and he says like, well, let me, oh, I think that, I think that ideas are sounds and here's some very funny things about that. And it's like, Oh God. And now she, now he and Tiffany are having a talk and I'm like, come on, let's, so let's go. Let's just go. To put some
0: context on that. I think that, That might you might have had a different read on that had you read the first three, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially Mm the first one. No, oh, especially in early. Okay, so no, but Tiffany's Tiffany's obsession with words is Mm -hmm. in all three. Yeah, Uh, okay. uh, Like one of the first things you learn about her is that she read the dictionary start to finish because nobody told her told you that you didn't need to do that. Um, (laughs) and you know her favorite word is susurrus. It's like no, established in I mean. the first, yeah. It's the, established in the very first chapter of the first Tiffany book. So I think yeah, that
3: um, T- Tiffany's the Tiffany. It's fine. The problem I feel like is just Preston. Okay, what I should say. I don't know if I'm going to explain this right, but like when when Terry makes jokes as the narrator, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that that's fine. That's narration. That's funny. In 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 comedy books, when actual characters are funny it's bad to me because i'm like the characters shouldn't be funny the situation should be funny but like the characters themselves when they're actually like making things that are recognized in 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 universe as jokes feels weird and preston though he's not joking he says a lot of things like oh my my uh the baron is now in uh pigsty with the pig sniffing his unmentionables it's like okay that's too funny to that's too close to being funny to come out of a character's mouth gotcha. preston just shut up i don't want to hear you talk all <laughs> the other <laughs> characters are fine oh and plus i was like oh and then when it's set up like oh no they're gonna they're gonna date aren't they oh here we go <laughs> okay Oh, tiffany could do so much better i'm sorry she could do better i'm just not feeling preston Anyway, that's my spicy take on Preston. I'm
1: not a fan. I'm I, I think I'm maybe on like a reduced version of that where it's just <laughs> like he just doesn't work for me. He's hmm. ju-
2: he's sort of like he's sort of like tailor-made for Tiffany.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: In a way that like feels artificial.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Um anyway, that, I'm just not, no like it's said, fine. not vibing with him yeah that's not ruin, the book is still good i mean it doesn't ruin the book i just kind of was like whenever he comes he pops into a scene i'm like just step aside people pe- big people are talking people are doing actions here i don't need your puns um stealing himba valor is honestly that's
1: the vibe <laughs> and that's why um uh, that, that 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 is why i i have i am anti Preston.
0: See, I I respect your opinions, I respect your position, I understand where you're coming from. As somebody who was teased and, like, bullied a little bit as a kid who used $5 words excessively, I feel a little bit for Preston. Uh, And, (laughs) you know, the the way that he interacts, the way that at least I read his interactions with Tiffany, uh, especially when she needs to do things, he's like he doesn't get in her way. He mm-hmm. watches, he sees where he's needed and he does that. And otherwise he like gets out of her way. Cause he knows that she's like knowing what, I don't know.
2: And, and it's another case of somebody who's very intelligent and like Tiffany has kind of made her, she's, she has her path that she's taken with that, but pressing up until the point where he gets the scholarship to go to, you know, to go and, you know, be first he gets the chance to be a teacher and then he gets a scholarship to go be a doctor. Like he didn't have any he, he couldn't run away and become a witch. Mm-hmm. Like he mm-hmm. didn't have the options that Tiffany had. So you know
0: that oh, Tiffany made for herself. Right.
2: right. Yeah. Uh, but you know it's not just that Tiffany made them for herself. Like she had, you know, she had Miss Tick showing up and being mm-hmm. like, ha look look at you. <laughs> Ding, you're a witch. Right. Um and nobody nobody there, there was no Miss Tick who showed up for Preston being like, mm-hmm. you know what, you're a clever boy, you could be a wizard, or whatever. Here's an
0: escape from toxic masculinity, right? Yeah. Um,
2: but I, I think you know, I'm, I'm like lukewarm on him. Like, I think he's fine. Um, I, I do like, like Aaron. I, I do like the way that he interacts with Tiffany in terms of like definitely letting her lead, but he does seem like. A little bit like he's too perfectly tailor made for her in some ways. That like it, fe- it he's tailor made for her in a way that it feels like a little bit artificial.
3: Hmm. Yeah, um, for me, I would just say with the, Preston is a rare Pratchett L for me. But um, that's my personal feeling.
2: <laughs> he feels like a storybook romance character, not like a human in some ways. Mm.
3: Yeah, Like he
2: doesn't he doesn't feel like somebody who naturally dropped into the narrative and like that he feels like he was placed there to be perfect for Tiffany.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's kind of in contrast to a lot of other characters in this book who start out as kind of, oh, that that is a fairy tale character. And then as you get to know them over the course, they expand from there because both Letitia and Duchess have arcs that that allow you to see them more fully um and even like uh, you know Brian too as well cuz like he is a himbo but then you get like more insight into him about his love of poetry and his wife you know yeah
0: but you know it's it's not it's not terrible it's just not my favorite
2: yeah. thing and yeah.
0: you know circling back to the to the teenager stuff teenagers can be unreliable narrators yeah okay? yeah <laughs> <laughs> i do want to get to talking about the intersections finally of the i mean i guess not finally, because we had this in, carpet, in not not in jugular, I'm Sorry, we had this in *Masquerade*, but the intersection of the witches and Ankh Morpork, which very <laughs> infrequently happens in this series. And this is an mm. infinitely
2: better book than *Masquerade* was. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, about as horny though.
3: <laughs> I I I'd like *Masquerade* because it has one of my favorite Discworld books. Characters uh, that was who doesn't get enough love, and that's Agnes Knitt. Um mm. I just think she's hot, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. But um, uh, but yeah, this book is is actually better than Masquerade. Masquerade is one of the ones that is kind of like, oh, it's just it's a spoof. Phantom mm-hmm. of the Opera is happening. Yeah. We're spoofing it. Yeah. Fun, but other than that, not a whole lot going on. Whereas this one is uh, uh, there's a lot more meat in this story. Um, But it's also like, like
0: it's a very, I mean, maybe it's because it's YA and we're seeing some of them, some of these characters who've seen other places for the first time, but Carrot especially feels very different from Mm -hmm. pretty much everywhere else he's appeared. I feel yeah. like Angua is slight closer to what we expect, and Vimes is yeah. fascinating from the perspective of Tiffany being able to read spell words all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, but Carrot does not feel like Carrot to me in this book. Not that I'm a huge Carrot stan, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I enjoy his character. We are, in fact, character. generally
2: like the opposite of Carrot stands on, on this podcast. <laughs> Carrot scares huh. me. Yeah.
0: But he doesn't scare me in the way that he normally scares me in this book. He scares me in the, like, this is just kind of a cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I do like Angua though. Mm-hmm. I I also love that we get Esk back after so yeah. long.
1: After 35 books, which yeah. honestly might be like one of the longest. Okay, no, no, it, here, here's what it is. It's like in Star Trek Discovery season two where they have a sequel to the cage yeah <laughs> <laughs> where it's like where you, like you get that at like 30 you know you know where it's just like there's been so much that's happened since that
0: yeah <laughs> and then from that we got strange new worlds oh yeah mm.
3: you know so <laughs> esca Escarina Smith it's been a long time since I read equal rights so i i, I rem- don't remember a whole lot but i was reading so i was like wait how much time has passed between equal rights and
0: in world um, <laughs> mumble, mumble. <laughs> we don't know the
2: timeline has broken at least once and the time monks have repaired it and also like lanker like moved forward in time at one point mm-hmm. don't worry about it it's fine yeah yeah it is
3: it, <laughs> yeah
1: just because i was like wasn't
2: she wasn't she how old was she in
3: equal rights and i was like but also weatherwax was there so i was
0: like wait what's what's going on don't worry about it don't worry (laughs) but also she's basically the doctor at this point i guess
3: Uh, oh yeah that's true i i yeah i kind of figure something like that um honestly like that was it was fun seeing her again i i feel like she wasn't very necessary for the book because you know, uh, she's getting because Tiffany's already getting like advice on what to do from Mrs. Prowse to Granny Weatherwax and her own future self. So Escarina Smith isn't really, you know, she isn't like a vital inf- uh, information giver, but it's fun to see her again. It's yeah. like, yeah. you know, seeing, it's like, oh, you know, she's back. Seeing, yeah, seeing that she's like, you know,
1: ascended to this to this role is really interesting. And I think like, especially with it being so long is really fascinating of like seeing it like, no, she's basically become this like witch of time.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, when I, when I first read this, you know, this, and you know, when I first read this, it was, you know, we, we all knew that Terry, you know, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, you know, we were nearing the end. Right. Um, and when I first read it, and I, and I think this would hold on a reread, is that it felt like he was, you know, telling us what happened with a character who got completely dropped. Because Granny Weatherwax came back after, um, you know, after Equal Rights to be in all the other witches' books. But Esk dropped off the face of the earth. We never heard about her again. And, like, it feels like a nice way to tie off that loose end and be like, no, she was a character. She did exist. She matters. Um, and then like, you know, giving us a happy ending for her essentially.
0: Yeah. Cause like my, my half recollection from three years ago and a pandemic ago was that like she and Simon stepped out of time and space because they were both too powerful or something. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, um, unrelated but like the characters that i've always really wanted to see come back in Discworld that never did um, at least i don't think they ever did um uh princess kelly from mort and um i can't remember the name of the wizard that she ends up with but like i always wanted those two to come back because yeah they were they were they were they were they were one of my in one of my earliest uh disc romances i was like oh Glad, yeah. Glad things worked out for them, but yeah. Then you never see them again. They never come back.
1: Yeah, I mean, all, I mean, all of them never come back. Um, yeah, I, I do, I do personally have my like little, my my little head cannon where they are, they are in a polyamorous like thing, living in a like a pearl happily of time. ever after. Yeah.
0: yeah,
2: yeah. We we do get we nobody do get,
1: dies.
2: We do get more the next generation though with Susan right yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh but yeah but it was nice to see ask again um i also i really liked you know again with tying things together um you know since since the, the villain has tied ties to omnianism um having pastor egg be like talking about Brutha you know, mm-hmm. and being and you know, talking about the values that brutha shared with us all in small gods and being like mm-hmm. no the witches embody embody like what brutha was teaching about how we should you know care for each other and how everybody you know how everybody matters um mm-hmm. that was really nice you know yeah. and yeah. again kind of I being mean- like this char- this character mattered you know we all know we yeah. all know that like Omnianism changed but you know, it really drives it home. That Yeah, I, f-
0: I, yeah, I forgot yeah. to point out last book that uh, that uh, Mightily Oates is referenced. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really nice thing also because I feel like um, in because uh, The Coming Man is Omnian and Omnianism is kind of just like the Discworld analog for um, like old school kind of fire and brimstone Catholicism. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, it's very e- would be very easy to read this book as just being you know like, oh yeah, omniism is bad. The bad yeah. thing is omniism or um, and it's like, no, no th- this goes beyond any one particular religion. It's, it's a yeah. thing, you know you, it's a universal problem. And having Pastor Oates kind of like in there deliver that line is like a, a nice little reminder. Like, no, no, just because you're not omnium doesn't mean you're immune. You know, yeah. you you can yeah. still you can still get the poison. Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, what else do we want to talk about?
2: I've got I've got a couple I've got a couple of things. Um, so I kept thinking as I was reading this that you know a bunch of the witches books have talked about cackling, right? That yeah. that you know where. A witch goes bad. Um, and I feel like I feel like Tiffany is heading that direction in this book. She's starting like, oh, yeah. ev- you know, before the even before the plot picks up, essentially. she's you know, she doesn't have any support. She doesn't have really anybody other than the Kelda to talk to. And the Kelda mm-hmm. has her own shit going on. Um, she- there's no other witches. Um, and like, even before we hit the the explicit influence of the cunning man, like, she has some really nasty thoughts about people and she Mm -hmm. like, she recognizes that she's having nasty thoughts. And I keep thinking to myself, like, is this the start of cackling? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it is. It's when you are isolating yourself because you, you keep saying like, Oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why, like, I mean, it's, it's honestly why getting a pint with your coworkers is therapeutic, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, I can I can decompress with people I am I you know I who who know what I am going through, and yeah. like and I can talk about it and I can relax and that's that's what visiting is is yeah. like you know it's getting a cup of tea, having you know grabbing a bite and people checking in is like, hey, you need socks,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, which or is the most.
1: Imp- the most yeah. important question of, Hey, do you need socks? Because people like once you've reached a, once you've reached a level where somebody like, Hey, do you need socks? You can ask for basically anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's therapists need to go to therapy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I also did not expect this book to like delve at, at least somewhat, somewhat lightly, but delve into like the problems with cross-cultural adoption with we Mad Arthur.
1: Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> as as he like comes back to the Fegals and is like, I was cut off from all of this. Mm. Um all you know, I was cut off from my heritage and he's rediscovering it. And, and I guess the-
0: I can't be a cop anymore.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the, the epilogue of this book where Terry talks about his own childhood mm. is one of the pieces that made me tear up. Um and I'm definitely mm. gonna be keeping that in mind. When I when I read through a life with footnotes,
0: yeah, uh, I feel like we've covered quite a bit about how much darker this is than his other books. Yeah, so we're yeah. Really to cover that. Yeah. So, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: I I wanted to highlight also that this this while it's not cited in the story itself, the book's title comes from a great poem by Jenny Joseph called "Warning," and you can you can look it up on your own time. Well, anything else we want to touch on before we get to the ratings? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, before, yeah, think so. before we do the last wrap-up bits, Bitter Corella, where can people find you online? Do you want to be found online? Yes, uh, you
3: can find me. Uh, I'm on many places online. If you Google Bitter Corella with two L's, you will find lots of places. Uh, but I'm primarily active on Twitter as Bitter Corella, B-I-T-T-E-R-K-A-R-E-L-L-A or on uh, Midnight underscore pals. And you can also find me at my own website, www.bittercorella.com.
0: All right. With all that out of the way, how would we rate this book? Uh, Justin, you want to lead us off again?
1: Yeah, I will uh, rate this nine out of 10 rolled cheeses.
0: Oh, we forgot to mention the cheese. Oh, well.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There is cheese in it.
0: There is cheese. We get
3: Horace like again. Isn't there like a sentient cheese in this yes, book?
0: Yes. Yes. Yes.
3: That is okay. That, is that cheese recurring? I'm yes, assuming. Yes, yes, okay, okay.
2: it is. All right. Okay. He's a good boy.
0: <laughs> well, for various definitions of good,
2: <laughs> and various definitions of boy. He was adopted
0: by the Fegels, if that tells you anything.
2: <laughs> ah,
0: okay. Gotcha.
2: Gotcha. <laughs> Anna? I'm going to give it 13 out of 15 real gold dollars. Bitter of Corella. I will give this um i'm gonna give this eight out of ten
3: big uh uh giant dicks i guess big hill <laughs> hill giant dicks excellent
0: uh and i uh give it two and one third out of three covens all right and now we talk about the thirty ninth book so this is book thirty nine
1: snuff. At long last, Lady Sybil has lured her husband, Sam Vimes, on a well-deserved holiday away from the crime and grime of ankh Park. But for the commander of the city watch, a vacation of the country is anything but relaxing. The balls, the teas, the muck, not to mention all that fresh air and birdsong, are more than a bit taxing on a cynical city-born and bred copper. Yet a policeman will find a crime anywhere if he decides to look hard enough, and it's not long before a body is discovered, and Sam... Out of his jurisdiction, out of his element, and out of bacon sandwiches, thanks to his well meaning wife, must rely on his instincts, guile, and street smarts to see justice done. As he sets off on the chase though, he must remember to watch where he steps. This uh, this is the countryside after all, and the streets most definitely are not paved with gold. Oh we're getting like we're getting like a countryside detective yes, novel. Yes. I'm, I'm delighted.
2: We're getting a gentleman's holiday for some definition of gentleman and some definition of holiday.
0: And we will talk a little bit more about some of the things that could have happened in the book that don't, unfortunately. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, this is this is where things get hard, uh, with regard to Sir Terry. All right. We will we will
1: we will burn that bridge when we get to it and cross yeah. it.
2: Yep.
0: The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it. Please, share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Atuinpod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D, or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.